let's start the formalities. Ray Ellis, CEO of the First National Group. Uh, this is the first Better Agent series uh, that we've we've run this year. So um, why not have the best of the best involved first up? So Ray, thanks so much for uh, being part of the session today. A pleasure, Will. It's a pleasure to be here on behalf of Open Negotiation. And uh, when you when you're live on Facebook in today's modern world, that means you've made it. So uh, good luck. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'd like to say you're probably right. But, um, mate, let's go with the hard-hitting question first and um, open negotiation. Obviously, you and the brand have been a huge part of the growth of open negotiation. Um, so I just wanted to ask you how you found working alongside us as a company. Good place to start. We've virtually been there day one. We probably pioneered it. And uh, the feedback I'm getting for our offices around Australia has been nothing sort of sensational. I remember last year, which is probably the year before now, we actually sold a property to a serving naval officer who was out on the Indian Ocean. He bought a house in South Australia. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And even recently as yesterday, our office in Yamba conducted their first open negotiation auction. That sold for a million dollars, which is a nice figure in some towns. But the key point there is that was almost $200,000 above the reserve. So a great result, great product. Very proud to partner and very privileged to be able to speak to everybody today. Yeah, great. Thanks, Ray. And uh, we're the same. It's really good to uh, to partner with a, a good company like yourself. So um, thank you very much for the kind words about Open. But let's get into you and the company a little bit more. So tell me a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind, and uh, how you came to be where you are today as the CEO at First National. Well, that's the... Um, I, I won't make this boring for the listeners, but uh, I've been the CEO now for 15 years. It's a privilege to work here. It's been the highlight of my working career and uh, real estate's a great industry. Prior to that, I ran a casino and transportation group in Las Vegas. And uh, the time I spent in America was the greatest learning experience of customer excellence and a commitment to excellence. Yeah. Prior to that, I was the CEO of the Melbourne Football Club in the AFL. And that was a tough environment. Football is all about winning. Again, a very enjoyable experience. And prior to that, I was the marketing director for Asia Pacific for the world's largest corporate travel company. And my area was Australia to Japan to the Middle East. And that brought some great experience of working with other cultures. I did business in the Middle East nine days after September 11. That was very interesting. I used to go to London virtually every week for a meeting, got me around the world um, and gave me great experience of dealing with different cultures. Uh, prior to that, I tried to retire. I was a bit young at the time, but uh, I just sold my ad advertising agency business. I merged with a company in Sydney and Auckland, we floated our company on the stock exchange and uh, that was very successful, but uh, it was my exit strategy. I'd run that business for 10 years since I started it since inception and that made me deal with clients, uh, such major clients as Nissan, Optus, financial institutions, again, a broad range of industries to deal with. And I started my career in the superannuation funds management areas, which is a long time ago now, but uh, all that experience puts you where you are today. It's irrelevant what you did yesterday, it's what you do tomorrow. But that broad experience, I think, has been beneficial to my working career and, more importantly, to the officers within First National. Well, you don't look a day over 35, so you've managed to fit a lot in in that short space of time. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I put that down to my wife and my physical trainer, Seb, who does a great job keeping me in shape. <laughs> very good. Um, so back in 2004, uh, when you became uh, the CEO at First National to date, and I'm sure there's a myriad of them, but what would you say are the main things that you've implemented into the company that have got you to where you are today as a brand and a company? Um, that, that's that's a, gr a great question. I mean, I don't want to go into specific details or whatever, but you know, to, to assist the people watching today, 
I think the first thing I try to do and I try to do every day is you've got to be relevant. Mm. Be relevant in the industry you're in, be dominating, looking at it differently and be ahead of the game. Don't copy what other people do. We're a great industry for copying, that's better, all that sort of stuff. No, be, be relevant, be ahead of the game. Lead, don't follow. That's the key to it. And if you do all those things and you'll stuff these notes along the way, you won't get it right all the time. I'm not interested in commenting or criticising the things that didn't work. I'm more interested in praising the things that do work because innovation is the name of the game. But I think the main thing, and it's what's come out in the year of the COVID, adapt quickly. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate at all. Run with it. That's what you've got to do. That was my mantra on day one. I've been fortunate to work with boards across the journey have shared that, and more importantly, in, in the last 12 months. So that's the main thing. Be relevant, adapt, and lead. Don't follow. Yeah, well, they say um, not making a decision is a decision upon itself, isn't it? So you've got to make, I think you've got to make a decision, whether it be right or wrong, a decision to move forward. Um, so reflecting back on 2020, and you sort of just touched on it then, obviously it was a year like no other, and hopefully we don't uh, experience that for too much of this year. But what would you say are some of the positives that have come out in the real estate industry that will move forward into 2021 and beyond? Notwithstanding the personal heartache of people who lost loved ones um, and the inconvenience to our lives, there was lots of positive that came out of 2020. And I think if you go back through Australian history, I'm sure the people in the Great Depression of the 20s and 30s, the Great Depression of the 1890s, the World War times, the credit squeeze of the 60s, there's always been issues in our, in our life. It's just we became so accustomed to life being not so much easy, but life full of certainties. So all I see is positives come out of it. You know, we've seen lots of things that haven't worked. We've seen lots of things that didn't, did work. And just the, the main thing in our industry, our industry adapted. And that was a great thing because we're at the forefront of negotiating rent decreases, keeping people in homes, mortgage repayments, a whole, we became the mediator. So we survived, we were resilient. And what I like to say when I'm speaking about it now, 2020 gave us a university degree in life that we didn't know we needed to do. Yeah. And most of us came through it in flying colours. In our network, particularly here in Victoria where I'm based, now the marketing collateral we need to have for an open home inspection is 12 pages long. Yeah. Two weeks ago it was six pages long. 12 months ago it was, hey, give me your phone number. So that's an example of how we've adapted to do our business within the changing rapid rules. And the rules change daily. I know my communications manager, Stuart Bunn, his life now is dictated by what government changes happen so we can get that out to our offices the very next day or that afternoon. So our industry adapted. But I think one of the great lessons that came out of it was relationships came to the forefront. And it shined a light strongly on us as real estate people because we're out there on the front line. I'm not comparing ourselves to nurses and doctors or whatever, but we're in the front line of consumers buying and selling. So if we had a strong relationship with those group of people, we shine directly and we did a great job. And that is us. That's what we do. We deal with people every day. Yeah. New technology in 2020 wasn't new. It was vital. And I hope now that officers, not just inside First National, use the prop tech environment better than what they did before. Because sometimes adapting to change is very difficult. Not sometimes, all the time. But what we saw, if you'd invested in technology in recent years, you shone very, very brightly in 2020. And I'm proud of what our network did and the way our officers adapted. But yeah. the other thing that's come out of it is the market started to boom at the end of the year. 
and it's booming now. And that's because the government policy at the federal level is for every company in Australia balance sheet to improve and every personal person's balance sheet to improve. And the vast majority of Australians, the main item on their balance sheet is their investment property, their commercial property or their home. And so we're at very exciting times. I did lots of media last night and this morning about the strength of the market. And if I digress on that, it was only six months ago, all the experts were saying our market's going to crash by 30%. Today, they're saying it's going to increase by 30%. Well, they only got it wrong by 60%. How's that for an average? Because they underestimated the power of property in the Australian people's psyche. But yeah. I think the key thing that's come out of 2020 is the role of the real estate agent as the local expert has become better known. And I know all the media I did during this time was focusing on landlords are real Australians. The real estate agent is a real Australian. He's a local expert or she's a local expert and they can help you. So I could go on and on, but I saw lots of positives come out of COVID, notwithstanding the tragedy some people had to suffer, particularly here in Victoria. Yeah. And it's a great summary and uh, really appreciate your words there. And it sort of segues me into my next question, which you touched on 2021 and beyond. How do you see the real estate industry and the market um, sort of performing? And I, I know that, as I said, you touched on that answer, but how do you see it going from here forward? Well, for those that know me well, I love giving predictions. I like I like stepping on the rock of leadership. I always tip the swans to win. Doesn't matter what happens in the, in the football, they're always going to win. And uh, so I'll give some predictions here. Um, and the first one is it's going to be a very good market. The, the conditions, the government policy, the government initiatives for first home buyers, first home buyers lending has gone up by 47% in the last 12 months. Owner occupiers has gone up by 31%. So all the, the cards are aligning for us to have a very good market. And that's the prediction where we're at. You don't have to be alone in predicting that, it's obvious. But I was saying this three months ago, it wasn't so obvious now. I'm glad to see the mainstream media is catching up on it. And what they underestimated is the Australian's passion for property. We are unique in the world, apart from New Zealand, who share the same capabilities with us, and a little bit of the UK. The average Australian makes his wealth out of property. That's the bottom line. The average landlord is someone who earns about $60,000 a year, not the rich people that the government, particularly the state governments, think they are. So this passion for property is always underestimated when forecasting is done. Because we operate in Main Street Australia, we know that because we deal with these people every day. Yeah. The prediction I'd like to make is I'm seeing the return of the family home, which now includes an office. Mm. The last 10 or 15 years, it was a lifestyle thing, move into Richmond or Alexandra or Northbridge in Western Australia, you know, Hamilton, Paddington in, in Brisbane, you know, Norwood, the inner city of Adelaide or whatever, and you know, the suburbs surrounding Hobart. That was a trend. Smaller apartments, smaller things, everything like that was a trend we were going. That was concern for us because home ownership perhaps could decline. But I'm seeing the return of the family home because what we're seeing now is people want their home to be fun, work, play and office. So they need a backyard again. They need an extra bedroom. I mean, I'd like to share some of the stories with you. Some of my staff have been stuck in a one-bedroom apartment with their partner, girlfriend or wife or whatever. They want to kill each other. <laughs> and they, needed a bit, they needed a bigger environment, and that's the family home. So if you're in a family home area, because people are now working, they can work from home. Infrastructure getting in, in and out of the city is a lot easier. So that lifestyle, what the inner city did, is waning at the moment. We're seeing that in the apartment prices. But the main thing, and this is the best tip I'd like to give your listeners, and this is what I concentrated on the media last night and this morning, it's now time for the average Australian to control their agenda. We have normal selling seasons of spring and summer and campaigns or whatever. That's going to be out the window in 2020. 
Don't wait for JobKeeper to end in March. Don't wait for the decision to downsize. Don't wait for the decision to move out of the suburbs. Don't wait for the decision to buy that apartment. Now you think the price are gonna go further. Take control of your agenda because the market is so good at the moment. Listings are down around Australia. So if you put your house or investment property or commercial on the market now, it will sell and you'll be in control of your own destiny. Don't wait for the traditional selling seasons. That's my big tip for January and February. Yeah, really good one. I hadn't really considered that, but now that you say it, uh, makes complete sense. So just moving off uh, that topic for a little bit. So on a more personal note, as the leader of First National, have you got any sort of goals yourself um, for how the, uh, the, the business looks moving forward? On a personal note, you shouldn't discuss things personally with the CEO, but uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you one. I'm looking forward to getting back on a plane again. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like booking overseas holidays. I'm the supreme optimist. I got those two of those booked for the second half of the year. I've only been on a plane twice in the, in the past nine months or something for someone that spends his life on planes. So that's a personal goal. But then also it gets me back out to our offices, gets me back out to our people. I'm a CEO that likes being out to with our people, not stuck here in my office. That's not my job. My job is to lead Inspire out there with my people. But our, our network, our goal this year is growth is we have a tremendous product offering. We're opening five new offices in January and February, and we signed up another one yesterday that takes that to six, another two coming on, because they're seeing the advantage of what we're doing. So it's an exciting year for us as growth. That's our mantra, growth in our member offices being more profitable and growth in our network being a stronger, larger network than what we are. But in, in a more holistic, broader approach, I wanna see a lot more done at the national scale and the state scale of our industry. We as an industry can sometimes be fragmented and we have the Real Estate Institute of Australia where I'm privileged to be on the board of that. We have a tremendous new chief executive and Anna there, well connected in Canberra. And if we as an industry not represented the national level property, which we are now, we can fade in insignificance. That's where the main game is in Canberra. And then also it backs up the strong support of our institutes in every state, particularly in the big states of New South Wales and Victoria. If you're not part of the REIA and not part of your institute, you are doing your industry a disservice. Here in Victoria, it was a privilege to work alongside Gil King, the CEO, the work he did of the lockdown, which only went for three and a half months in Victoria. I know the people up in Queensland suffered for three days and the people in Adelaide was two and a half days and they share the commonality of us, but it was a, lo it was a long time. And without that work and that lobbying that we all got involved in, our industry would have been dire trouble. So the strength of our national body, the strength of our institutes, which sometimes people say, ah, why, why not? Forget that, it's time to be united. Yeah. Our network, I want us to be well-equipped, I want us to be efficient, I want us to be customer-focused, I want us to provide the best support available. But I think also what I said before, it's about the people. I, I, I'm not interested in people who have great skills on technology or those sorts of things, they're a dime a dozen. I'm interested in people that can transact with other people. And that's a dying skill in today's environment because we go to our text machines, our Facebooks, our DMs. Yes, I know what they are, a whole range of things. And when people join First National, I get this phrase all the time. It's like chalk and cheese where I came from. We had a lady join us just recently from another major network and she couldn't believe the volume of training we do for our officers. It paled in insignificance of what they used to do where she was before, whereas now we spend millions of dollars on it to make sure our agents are the best resource for do things. Yeah. I just like on my prediction, I just like to finish on this one. It's about the people. And it's an example I was told about this morning. 
We have a big cyclone that's coming up in North Queensland or washing out on a tropical rainstorm. It doesn't matter. Up there in that part of the world, it's a normal daily occurrence. They're used to it. In Israel and Tully are the most wet cities in Australia. We've got offices in East Town. Yeah. And out of their own volition, member of my, some of my staff here just rang our offices to see how they're going. They're going great because they're used to it. But down here, it sounds like the end of the, end of the world. Yeah. And an officer joined us three years ago from another network. She said to my staff member, I've been with another work for 16 years. No one ever called me to see how I was. Mm. Thank you for calling me to see how I was with this cyclone. That's business and that's what First National is about. Good. Very positive. So going from more of a macro sort of down to a micro scale, we're talking about offices now, individual offices. What would you say are the vital components to running a, a successful real estate business from an office point of view? Well, I can take up the next hour and a half if you want me to, but um, I've made some notes here. I'll just refer to them because these are some key points. Yeah. I think the, the first one is you must be a local person. Real estate is local. And there's so much information that's available from government websites, council websites, a whole range of information. Because anyone can get the median house price now. Anyone can obviously see if freeways being built. So they don't need our local skills for that but you must be resourced, you must be the local expert because then, it's as I said before, it's people dealing with people. Yeah. And how you portray that information. All the media I do is all about contact your local real estate agent. He is the local expert, not a machine, not a computer, not a website, not a property analysis. They're all the mechanics. It's about where you live, where your children go to school, what's going to happen, what's the infrastructure, where are the jobs, all those sorts of things. This is what other things are. And that information is freely available to our industry doesn't take it. Get hold of it. Yep. I think the last thing is do what you say you're going to do. And that's something I'm passionate about. Pick up the phone and talk to someone. If you've got some bad news, deliver it. The criticism of our industries, I never hear back from them. I don't hear this or those sorts of things because we're too busy doing our important things, looking up websites. But do what you say you're going to do and you'll have a customer for life. And that's what I try and instill in our network. Very good. Um, you did an interview with the Real Estate Academy not not, not so long ago that I that I saw. You've done some research there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got to do that. When I'm interviewing a CEO, I need to know what I'm talking about. Um, and you spoke about you how you grew into leadership. Can you just sort of elaborate and explain what you mean by that, please? Um, again, I could talk for hours. I'm, le- I'm passionate about leadership. Mm. It's um, leaders and there's followers. That's not criticism of the followers, but no one's born to lead. You grow into the role. Yeah. And you grow into that role by making mistakes. You grow into that role by doing things. And you grow into that role by leading. And having, having lots of skills to do that, you have to acquire those skills. I've been very fortunate. I've been coached and mentored and beat up by the best over, over my whole working career. Um, when I started work, the six or seven managers at the insurance company I was at, they were all ex-POW prisoners from World War II. So I used to go in and whinge about something and say, reckon you got problems, boy? I spent three years in a jail eating rice. So that puts things, put things in, in, in perspective. But leaders learn on the job. Minimise the mistakes, but learn. Um, and I think the biggest tip, and this came out this year, is about leadership, how growing in the role. Never look for certainty. You cannot get certainty. If you're waiting for certainty, the world and the industry and your competitors will pass you by. What you need is clarity. And that's what we tried to provide during COVID times. We gave our officers, our staff, everyone that's aligned with us, we gave them clarity of what we're doing that day, that week, that month. 
in an environment where there was no certainty because it was changing every simple day. And that's what I do in a leadership style. I mentioned before, I have a great personal trainer, a friend of mine, Seb. You know, we had a session this morning and he's all concerned about keeping me mobile, keeping me active to work the hours I need to do. So get your fitness campaign right. That'll help you in leadership. But if I can digress, if I'm not taking too much of time, I'd like to, I've just thought of these, I'd like to share with this. There's only two types of leaders. And a favourite quote of mine, which Mick Malthouse has used and lots of people have used, I can't remember the Roman general who said this, but leaders are people who can take people who have a diverse range of opinions, diverse range of views on the same journey united. Because it's easier to lead people who think the same as you, and it's hard to lead people who think the opposite to you, but you have to get them to have a common purpose. That's what leadership's about. So there's two types of CEOs in my world. There's the trans transactional ones, and there's a transformational ones. I'd just like to spend a bit of time talking about that because this was clearly evident in COVID. The transactional ones represent the old ways. And there's nothing wrong with this style of leadership if you love mediocrity. And if you want to be mediocre, don't be in my world because transactional CEOs or leaders are ones who are interested in the old ways. They're task-orientated. They like the status quo. They react to a problem as it arises. They work within set boundaries. This is a common manager style because it's, it's, it's easy to be in your comfort zone and no one will criticise you for not doing anything and that way you actually never do anything. I'm not saying it's bad, but that type of leadership cannot survive a crisis or lead an organisation into the future. And 2020 certainly was a crisis. And our industry saw a number of CEOs depart. Every sporting organisation saw CEOs depart. And the reason is because not that they were bad at their job, they just hadn't built the relationship and trust with the people that are important because they were too busy protecting the way it is. Then the transformational CEOs, which I like to think of myself as one, it's all about the new ways. We have to motivate and engage with visions of the future, where we're going to be tomorrow, where we're going to be today. I don't care what happened yesterday. That's irrelevant. I care what's going to happen tomorrow. We use the strengths and weaknesses of all the people we work with because not everybody can be the same. It would drive me crazy if everybody worked the same as me. I couldn't stand myself for that long. We <laughs> need lots of different people. I move the boundaries. We move the boundaries we needed. We lead and inspire. It's much better to um, seek forgiveness than seek permission sometimes. Yeah. And that gives you criticism, but it doesn't. So don't be a transactional leader in your own business. Be a transformational leader. As soon as someone says that's the way we've always done it, time to get a new boss or a new job. Very simple. It's an easy choice to make if you want to be a leader that chooses results over status. My title's irrelevant. It's about the results. And that's what I'd like to leave for your listeners. I absolutely love that. If I could take anything out of today, um, that to me... That'll give you something. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, everything else has been really good. But that to me, from the leadership perspective, because I'm always um, interested in trying, from as a leader myself, trying to grow um, and inspire others. And what you've said there really resonated with me. So thanks, Ray. Um, so First Nationals pioneered some um, amazing technologies, obviously, over the, um, over the last months, years, et cetera, including open negotiation. Where do you see sort of tech going moving forward and, and a disruptor is going to play a role in the industry? Um, I think the first thing with that is you've got to surround yourself with people who challenge your views. You know, I've changed a lot of staff inside here, not because the old staff were no good. They did a fine job, but they were interested in transactional leadership. The new people I've joined challenge some of the things I do. I let them win the argument sometimes. A lot of times I win the argument. It's my job to lead. But if you don't have an environment where you challenge the views internally, the disruptors will become a part of your business. Mm -hmm. From my point of view, there are no disruptors. 
there's always been disruptors. You know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very simple fact of life. It's a groovy modern term. But the point is you and your business must disrupt. You and your business must reinvent. You and your business must be different. You and your business must do something that's different today than what it was yesterday. But we, we become so complacent. We become so happy with the status quo. Oh, that's too hard. That's too much effort or whatever. And that's when the disruptors come in. Not that they're necessarily disruptors. We've allowed them to come in. We've allowed the barbarians at the gate by not doing our job properly properly. Yesterday is irrelevant. What worked last month is old news. Do your job properly, have good leadership, be prepared, prepared to challenge the status quo, look at things differently, and the disruptors, they'll just always be out there. They, they can have the crumbs under the table while you dominate your local area. Simple as that. What three tips would you give anyone who's trying to grow their agency moving forward? Three tips. Let's start with one and we might move okay. to three. Okay. I think I said it before, do the research, get local. Yeah. Don't don't look at the flashiest thing that someone else has already tried. You're, you're not a competitor, then you're a copier. Do the research. What is the point of difference between you as a local expert in your area? Real estate is local. We don't sell one more office in Epping New House in Epping, New South Wales, because we have an office in Broome and vice versa. Yeah. But it gives us the strength to be able to do things better and to make it local. And we have lots of great, you mentioned technology, we probably should have mentioned, our hyper-local product, which no one else in the industry has, has dominated the social media scene for the past two years. There was a slow uptake initially, because guess what, a lot of our office, it was new, it was different. I didn't understand that, all those sorts of things. Well, that's what we said about fax machines. You know, <laughs> well, that, that's, I don't even know what a fax machine is now, but I'm sure the offices still have them. So it's irrelevant. So become the local expert, then use the tools on top of that. Get local. Become the information source, like I said before. If you are the go-to person for good, solid information out of personal lifestyle, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago and someone said, what should be a question a real estate agent asks? What's your lifestyle? When I, before I see this house or this apartment, what's your lifestyle? What are you looking for? It's a question we don't ask. I did it down at Point Cook two days ago, the same thing. Yeah. And last tip, I, I don't know if this is three or four or whatever, pick up the phone. <laughs> Speak to people, ring them up, because guess what? You'll be the only person calling them. Because everyone else is texting, SMSing, emails, DMs or whatever, which are fantastic. That puts you in touch with more people. But pick up the phone and speak to someone. They will challenge you. They'll argue with you. They'll agree with you. And you'll have a relationship and they'll do business with you. That's my biggest tip. Love it. Now, you mentioned earlier, don't ask a CEO personal questions. I like to push the boundaries, so I'm going to ignore what you said. I'm going to ask you some personal questions. So these are what I call my rapid-fire questions, so you can basically give one-word answers if you like. Would you rather stay in an Airbnb or a hotel? Very easy. Hotel, if you stay in an Airbnb, um, that's like wearing someone else's underpants. I have no interest in staying in someone else's house. Stay in a hotel. <laughs> so you can uh, – all right, I'll move on from there. Do you have any – Guilty pleasures, and if so, what are they? This is personal. Um, yeah, yeah. Chocolate. Well, maybe ask my wife. Um, the um, I love custard tarts. I can't get enough of them. I love reality TV because it teaches about human nature and how to deal with stupid people. Um, I'm partial to watching The Bold and Beautiful, and I can. I like that. Um, I love playing golf. Um, golf is my passion. Golf teaches you everything, patience, humility, and stops you being greedy because it's ups and downs and a whole range of things. Four right for those people mentioned, listening. And um, I like eating raw cake mix. I think that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> that's ample. Thank you for that. So what's the best investment you've made recently under 100 bucks? 
100 bucks. Well, my wife doesn't give me more than $100 to spend on things. Uh, Everything. So, um, what's the best one? I'll give you the worst one. Uh, I saw I saw an ad for a climbing Santa. I love Christmas decorations. And this was a climbing Santa you could put outside your window. And I thought this would look fantastic. It looked nice and large in the photograph. When it arrived, it was about six inches big. It was so pissy, it looked stupid on the window. So I'll leave that to that. That must be my worst investment for $100 lately. Fair enough, even better. Now, when you're feeling overwhelmed or uh, unfocused, what do you do to get yourself back on track? I'll be serious here. You don't have that luxury. If you're a CEO or leader of a business, and I come from a military family, it's very simple. You don't have the time to feel overwhelmed or stressed or whatever. Leaders don't have that luxury. If you get that, get out of your job. You're not doing your job. I've been very fortunate. I've had lots of great mentors. And one of them used to work very close with John Howard. And he told me the story, a nuclear bomb has to go off next to you. And your job is to say, please pass the salt, not to react to it. And um, those skills certainly helped me greatly in the past six months. I work with some great board members that share those, those thoughts. I work with some great staff members who share those thoughts. And uh, I'm not saying we're not normal people, those sorts of things. But if you're in a leadership position, you don't get time for that. But if you, need, if you do, relax, take a deep breath, analyse it. Talk to your mentor. There's always someone to talk to or whatever, but don't feel overwhelmed. That's life. You can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. It's a very simple philosophy. Yeah, good one. My last question for today, um, what's one... It's not a personal one again, is it? Pardon? Not a personal one again. No, no, no. We've moved on from those. No, we've moved on. What, what's one piece of advice you would give all the real estate agents out there to make 2021 their best year yet? We're an industry that gets a high profile in our local area and a high profile national because everyone has Australian passion for property. And as a result, we have to be confident. Dare I say it, we have to have a good ego to put up with the trials and tribulations and rejections we get. But I think the one tip is it's not about you. It's about you and your customer and the relationship you have with them. And if you don't have a good relationship, get one. Because if you don't have the relationship, the disruptors, the competitors, they'll have something better and flashing all those sorts of things. A good relationship will last you forever. I'm very fortunate in my business life. I've had relationships for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They've never let me down because I can count on them. And I want you to have that same relationship with your customer base. And to get that, pick up the phone. Yeah. I think I've worked out one thing today that you're pretty big on, and that is picking up the phone. Am I right? Message got that message. I did get the message. I'm sure everyone else did as well. Uh, Ray Ellis, this has been an amazing 31 minutes. I've picked up so much myself. I wish I could write notes, but I'm going to go back and rewatch this and write some notes from the leadership point of view personally. Um, everybody watching today, Zoom, Facebook, thank you so much for your attendance. Ray, it's been a wealth of information. I wish you and the company all the very, very best with your success uh, in 2021. And thanks very much. <laughs>